What's good, everybody? Just give us just give my housekeeping together. I hope everybody is doing well on this Wednesday. I think we've got like three more trading days left. I think, yeah, I think we got like three more trading days left in the month of May. So we got the 26th, 27th, and then we got the 31st coming up right after Memorial Day. So, so we can go ahead and get started so we don't waste any time. Welcome to the Trade for Yourself podcast, where my mission here is still very simple. I just want to help everybody learn how to trade for themselves. So please like, please subscribe, please share, and make sure y'all hit that notification bell so y'all can be in the know whenever I drop an episode or whenever I drop a piece of content. Also, if you're on Instagram, please come over to Trade for Yourself podcast on YouTube so you can see how I break things down because we're going to be doing a lot of charting a lot of economic analysis, and we're going to be adding some more tools to our toolbox so we can really truly understand what we need to do to be successful. Shout out to, shout out to Javon Brooks. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. This is what we got to do to continue to put this information out there so everybody can be successful. So as always, this is always a open forum. This is an open forum, so if you have any questions, please reach out to me in the YouTube chat, and I'll answer those questions. But as always, I always have a rubric, okay? I always have something that I want to talk about because there are a lot of things that we need to talk about in this market. So the name of this episode is Technical Analysis and Economic Analysis, and so with economic analysis, you can talk about fundamental analysis with companies, but the technical analysis, the economic analysis, and the fundamental analysis, they all have to come together. They, it's like they all have to be in one, in sync. So I'm going to go over some technicals, and I have a thesis on what I think is going to happen over the next two months. So let's go ahead and share screens real quick, and let's pull up the chart. All right, so we're going to start out with the chart, and then we're going to go in to, to we're gonna go in okay we're really finna get into the bag tonight y'all like i really want y'all to understand we're gonna break down this from a technical standpoint and then we're gonna go into it and look at it from an economic standpoint and look at some key metrics that we're gonna look at to help us out so to start off we're looking at the s p 500 index xpx you know, I always like to start with the granddaddy of them all. We're going to start with the market, okay? We always want to start with the market to see what's going on, okay? So I got a year-to-date chart of the S&P 500, and again, we're, we're in a downtrend, right? We, we are in a defined downtrend. However, it's a possibility that we could have already had the bottom for this year. And my thesis, okay, in my thesis, I'm going to say that we've hit the bottom. So if, if we look at this, this pattern that we've got showing, this is what in technical analysis terms, we would call this a double bottom, okay? And, and this double bottom is right here around May 20th 
in May 12th, May 13th. So let me see, let me draw a little rectangle around this so I can kind of show y'all what I'm talking about. So double bottoms are essentially, double bottoms are, are what we would call a reversal pattern. So when you see a double bottom, it could indicate that it could indicate the end of a downtrend. And it's pretty much the same thing as a double top. So when you see a double top, which we had a double top back in early February, a double top would be considered a bearish pattern because when you hit resistance two times, we're breaking down. Okay, so... And, but in order for this to really truly be a double bottom, we would have to get above the level of 4,081.27. If, if we were able to break above that and close above that, then that would confirm that we are in a double bottom. So let me draw this rectangle. So right here. So right here in this area where we came down to 3810.32, this is our double bottom. We had a double bottom on May 12th. We came right back again on May 20th, okay? Because we closed. So pretty much we closed at 3,930.09 on May 12th. And then we came down on May 20th and we closed right around 3,900 again. So we're pretty much, we're pretty much double bottoming here. Now, that's not, that's not um, the main reason why I believe that we have hit the bottom in the market. There's also another thing I want us to look at too. So we've looked at the double bottom. Let's look at the S&P 500 on a weekly chart, right? Let's look at it on a weekly chart. Now this right here is a beautiful chart. Why is this a beautiful chart? Because we can see the stock market is going up and to the right. Okay, the market is going up and to the right. So that's what you need to see in terms of companies. Okay, so the fundamental analysis, the economic analysis and the technical analysis has to come together. They have to be operating as one. Okay, if the technical, if, if the fundamental analysis of a company is good, but the technical analysis is bad, you're not going to want to get into that company because we need to seek return. So we came down to a bottom, well, a year-to-date low. I'm just going to say year-to-date low. We came down and we tested that, and that level was 3,810.32. Now, this is a weekly chart. So we've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven consecutive weeks in a downtrend on the S&P 500. That's the most consecutive weeks we've had on a downtrend since 2001. But what I want to do is I want to give y'all a technical analysis tool that can help you determine where to get in and where to get out of stocks. So this technical analysis tool that we're going to use is called Fibonacci retracement. Okay, so I'm not going to give you the history of Fibonacci. Just know that tech, just know that a lot of technicians like to use Fibonacci in order to determine entry points, exit points, retracements, and where we can get in and get out of stocks. Now, 
now I am using TradingView. This is TradingView, and this is this is the tool that I'm using, or this is the platform that I'm using to chart off. So in order to do the Fibonacci, you would have to draw your Fibonacci level from your all-time high, and you would draw it down to a meaningful low. So pretty much a low that we haven't seen in a in, in a long time. So I'm drawing it from the all-time high that we had in January 3rd, and I'm drawing the low all the way down to March 23rd, 2020. Now, why is this important? And number one, why do I say that this could possibly be the bottom? Because there are some key levels you want to look at in terms of in terms of entering stocks and entering positions, okay? So there are Fibonacci levels, okay? So you got the 0.618, the 0.5, and the 0.382. Now, from an index perspective for the S&P 500 index, a lot of traders and a lot of investors like to enter the market around the 618 FIB level. So the 0.618. So pretty much you can just convert that just to say 61.8%. So, so at the 61.8 FIB level, that's where a lot of people like to enter the market. So we came down to this FIB level and then, and then we bounced off. We bounced off of that FIB level last week. Now also, why is this also important? Because this level that we bounced off of was a previous high. So support and resistance. Let's go over that again. What is support? What is resistance? Support is a level that a stock or an index comes down to and does not break below. Buyers like to enter the market at support levels. Resistance levels are areas where a stock or an index increases and goes up to and doesn't penetrate past. So investors like to sell at resistance. So very, very key and very simple. You buy at support and you sell at resistance. But also what was previously resistance then becomes support whenever you break past it. So since we had a previous high, we had a previous all-time high on January 4th, 2021 at the level of 3,826.69. That was the previous all-time high for the stock market. Guess what that coincides right with? That coincides right with the 61.8 FIB level. Okay, so that's, that's a situation to where I may look at it from a technical standpoint and say, hey, the bottom is probably in. On top of that, let's also look at another technical analysis feature I want to look at, another technical analysis indicator. Let's review the RSI indicator, okay? So what's the RSI? The RSI is right here at the bottom of my chart right here. And these are the purple lines. So let me explain what the RSI is. The RSI is the relative strength indicator. In simple terms, it measures when stocks are overbought and it measures when stocks are oversold. When a stock is above 70 on the RSI, you really want to look at possibly considering selling, okay? If it gets above 80 on the RSI, you definitely need to be selling stocks, okay? Remember, buy a support, sell a resistance, okay? So 
that's the overbought. Now, the oversold is whenever we get below 30 on the RSI, that is when the market is then at an oversold level. Okay, if we get below 20 on the RSI, then we are really truly at an oversold level. Now, look at where we are on the RSI. When we hit that 618 FIB level, in combination with the previous all-time high, in combination with the 30 on the RSI indicator, right? Look at previous times where the RSI has came down to 30, okay? On, came down to 30. Now, this is a weekly chart. So a weekly chart is a long-term projection. So the RSI has not came down to 30 that much. It came down below 30 or 230. It came down 230 and below 30 in COVID, okay, which we had a global recession there. And we came down there December 18, December 2018. So the reason why the market was down during this period was because the market was fearing, number one, a policy mistake from the Federal Reserve. We're going to get into the Federal Reserve later. And in addition to that, there was a lot of tariffs. Like, like there were a lot of tariffs going on that Trump was pretty much getting ready to institute on China. And that was and that caused fear in the market. So from a technical standpoint, I think that the bottom is possibly in, okay? And even if the bottom isn't in, okay, this is a level where you want to buy, okay? Because we're at a 618 on the FIB level. Another good levels, another two other levels that are good to buy at are also the 50. So the 0.5, which I would just say the 50% retracement level. So that would be 3516.52, which also coincides with another previous all-time high. Like look at the consistencies here and the 0.382 level. So that's 38.2% FIB level. So that coincides again with another support level, previous resistance, all of that. So I think that the bottom is in, but even if the bottom is not in, this gives us an opportunity to average downs. So we can buy more shares lower. So what I'm looking at here is I'm thinking that the bottom is in right now. Okay. And understand that technology and consumer discretionary are big weightings in the S&P 500. Like they're huge weightings. That's the reason why the S&P is down so much. If you, if you would notice energy is up and utilities are up, but there are lower weightings in the S&P 500. But we're coming up, but we're ending May, we're coming up on June, we're coming up on July, we're coming up, we're coming up on August. Those are seasonally strong periods for technology and consumer discretionary. So that gives us an opportunity to have a rally. That gives us an opportunity to get some gains back. Now, what we're going to have to watch is we've got major resistance at the 4,300 level. At the 4,300 level, we've got major resistance here, okay? We've got a double top here at the 4,300 level. On top of that, that's right above our 0.78, so our 78.6 FIB level. If we can break past that level, we'll continue to move higher. But I do believe that it's a possibility that we could have a summer rally to where we have an increase in the S&P 500 and we come up to 4,300 and we could potentially bounce off of that and retrace, and retrace back down to retest the year-to-date low. 
I think that's a possibility. Now, if that happens for anybody that is holding any leaps, okay, if you're holding any leaps that expire in January, okay, there are some things that you want to look at, some things you want to keep in mind. If you're in tech like I am, or if you're in consumer discretionary like I am, you're right now, theta is not killing you. So what is theta? Theta is your time decay. And, and this is for my people that are getting introduced into options and people that already have them. Theta, that's your time decay. Right now, theta is not killing you at the end of May and into June. But the, but the closer we get to expiration, the more that theta is going to kick in. So from an economic standpoint, keep in mind that we're going to have Q2 earnings that are going to come up in July. Okay, in July, you might not want to hold through those earnings because of the anticipation of Q2 earnings not reporting the way that, the way that we think they are corporate earnings, not over delivering. So this 4,300 level is going to be very key. And if we get to this level or past this level before we start getting those big tech earnings, you might want to consider looking at looking at the exit point and figuring out a way to be able to recoup some of the losses that you may have had. And so if I have some time, I'll go through bar chart and show you kind of what I like to look at in terms of mirroring the price of the option versus looking at the stock itself. All right. So this is the technicals. I told you that I believe that the bottom is in. But now, economically, why does that make sense? From an economic standpoint, why does it make sense that the bottom is already in? So first, first off, we need to look at the Fed minutes. Okay, so we had FOMC reading today, and the Fed gave us some more data. Okay, so we're going to go through this article, and we're going to break this article down to really, because because. If you're going to be an investor in the stock market, you got to be able to understand the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is that governing body, that, that governing entity that's going to be able to pretty much control the economy. So the Fed minutes that we had that were released this afternoon point to more rate hikes that go further than the market anticipates. Mm, we'll see. So the Fed minutes released Wednesday indicate that officials are prepared to move ahead with multiple 50 basis point interest rate increases. In addition, the Federal Open Market Committee, FOMC, said the policy may have to move past neutral and into restrictive territory. The minutes indicate that members are hopeful they can bring down inflation, but also concerned about financial stability risk. Okay, so let's stop right here and let's break this down. The Federal Reserve has been raising interest rates, okay? They've been raising interest rates because they want to be they want to try to tackle inflation. So the Federal Reserve has two has a dual mandate. So 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 the mandate that they have is to be able to stabilize prices and have maximum employment. Increasing the interest rates is their way and something that they have in their toolbox that they use to be able to stabilize prices. So the Fed has been talking about raising 50 basis points pretty much throughout this year. This is nothing new, okay? That, that's why I feel like we had some green today in the market because the Fed didn't tell us anything new. The Fed didn't tell us that, that the market didn't already know. 
and that we invest as we as investors didn't already know like we are expecting them to raise interest rates by 50 basis points at the at the remaining subsequent meetings until they are able to tackle inflation now they said that they may have to move past neutral and into restrictive territory okay what does that mean so the federal reserve is trying to get interest rates back to neutral and what they want to do and neutral pretty much means that the fed isn't being accommodative and they're not not being accommodated. Okay, so pretty much, they're pretty much allowing economic activity and allowing the economy just to pretty much flow by itself. So let's say when you were a kid, like for example, let's say when you were a kid and you were learning how to ride a bike. When you were a kid and you were learning how to ride a bike, it's possible that you were probably, you probably had some training wheels on. Okay, you probably had some training wheels on to help you learn how to ride the bike. And eventually, once you learn how to ride the bike with the training wheels, then you took the training wheels off and your parents was probably was probably, you know, standing beside you, you know, what I'm saying as you was riding the bike to, to be able to keep you to keep you on pretty much stabilize you so you could have your balance. And then eventually you were able to ride the bike by yourself once you were able to have that balance and pretty much have that learned memory. It's the same thing here. The Federal Reserve has been in an accommodative state, which pretty much equals, or another term would be like quantitative easing. Okay, so the Fed has been quantitative easing, so it's been very accommodative. That means it's been helping out the economy, right? So the Federal Reserve has pretty much had those training wheels on the economy. Let, let's say the economy was the bicycle and the training wheels was the Fed, giving you QE, quantitative easing, pretty much printing money and holding up the economy. The Fed has been holding up the economy with the training wheels, okay? And they want to get the economy to the point to where it can ride the bike without having to have any training wheels. So that way, it will be neutral. That way, it can operate by itself. The Fed doesn't have to worry about raising interest rates too much and all that type of stuff. It's not going to get into restrictive territory. Now, the minutes also indicate that members are hopeful they can bring down inflation, but also concerned about financial stability risks. Now, there have been a lot of media pundits in the market that have been pretty much like pretty much calling for like 75 basis, 75 basis point interest rate hikes and 100 basis points rate in heights to be able to pretty much shock the system and bring inflation down significantly very fast the problem is though is that that would cause a recession the federal reserve is led by jerome powell and i've been watching jerome powell very closely for the last two years and he is very measured he is going to allow the data to validate he's not going to i i don't believe that he is going to force the economy into a recession i don't think that would be smart I don't think that would be, I really truly don't believe that would be a smart thing to do. So I think that the Fed is just going to be very slow and they're going to allow the data to validate, right? They're going to allow the data to validate. And as these economic readings come in, that's how they're going to make the decisions on when they're going to raise interest rates and all that. So real quickly here, speaking of which, let's talk about the U.S. economic calendar real quick before we go back to that article. Now, so you see FOMC minutes were released on Wednesday and tomorrow, tomorrow we've got real gross domestic product revision. So we're going to see 
what the real gross domestic product revision is, okay? If this is negative, this is going to bold bad for, for, for the market. I, be, I believe that if this reading comes out negative, it's going to show that we are officially in a recession. Now, you know, we'll see how the market reacts tomorrow. You know, it is what it is, right? <laughs> Whatever happens with that, it is what it is. Also, Friday, we've got PCE inflation. So that's personal consumer expenditures. Okay, so this is what the Fed likes to use in terms of looking at inflation, seeing if inflation has peaked, and what they should do from an interest rate standpoint. Now, the Fed is going to be looking at core PCE. So core PCE is pretty much just pretty much tracking the tracking the inflation minus food and energy. So your food and your gas, right? Because we know we know that food prices and energy prices are going to be high simply because of the war that's going on in Ukraine. It's, it's going to be high. Like that's that's a given at this point. We won't even have to discuss that. You know, like, like, like we know that. But everything else, we need inflation to come down because that's what's really truly beating down the market right now is the high inflation. We need inflation to come down. If we can get inflation to come down, that would further be able to, that would further pretty much incentivize or not necessarily incentivize, but that would further confirm my thesis on the fact that I believe that the bottom is in. Now, one thing I want to look at is, I want to look at something and I want to look at, inflation may not be as bad as everybody says it is. Now, that's probably almost a cardinal sin for me to even say that at this point, because everything you see is going up. But what if inflation isn't as bad as what it is? What if inflation has peaked? What if inflation will be going down and it will be a lot lower later on in the year? There's a reason why I believe that. So we're going to look at Walmart earnings and we're going to look at Target earnings and we're going to look at these things. And this is going to give us pretty much pretty much a leg to say that, hey, inflation may not be as bad as what we say it is. So let's look at Walmart's earnings report, okay? So we're gonna, so we're gonna focus on segment results and we're going to focus on what happened in the United States. Okay, so in the United States last year, Walmart had $93.2 billion in net sales. And in, and, and in, in this previous physical year, Q1, Walmart had $96.9 billion in sales. So that was a 4% increase in sales. Okay, so that's good. The problem is, though, is that the operating income, the operating income is down $1 billion year over year. So it's down negative 18.2%. Okay, also, in addition to that, I want us to look at the cost of the expenses. Okay, so, so the cost of sales. So you want to look at your revenue, and then you want to look at the cost of the revenue. So year over year, the cost of sales have increased. The cost of sales have increased, and all operating, selling, general, and administrative expenses, they've increased as well. But the problem is, is that the sales didn't increase enough to combat the loss in the operating income. 
So that's the problem. And that's the reason why Walmart came down. But also what I want us to look at too is, let's look at this balance sheet. Okay, let's look at this balance sheet and let's look at the current assets. And let me zoom in a little bit because I really truly want us to see this and really understand what I'm talking about from a balance sheet standpoint. Now, current assets. I want us to focus on inventories. Now, what is Walmart? Walmart is a retailer. It's a large United States retailer. Okay, big box retailer. And Walmart is a consumer staples company. Is this in the consumer staples business? Now, last year, April 30th of last year, Walmart had about 46 million in inventory. So the product that they get, the product that they have to sell, they had about 46 million in inventories. Now, in April, so pretty much a year later, Walmart's got 61. I said million billion. Got got has sixty one billion in inventory. So last year the company had forty six billion in inventories. Now it's got sixty one billion in inventories. But notice that the operating income went down and the cost of sales went down. So another narrative that has been out there in the media is what talking about supply chain, supply chain risk, and pretty much dealing with supply chain. And that's the reason why we can't get goods. That's the reason why we got inflation. That's the reason why demand is so high. If Walmart is, is able to increase their inventories by 15 billion, by, by nearly $15 billion year over year, and, and they've got this product in their warehouses and trying to get off of it, is, is supply chain really that big of a deal if they're able to have an increase of 15 billion in inventories like 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 let's let's look at that question let's ask ourselves that question also let's look at target okay so target let's look at their let's look at what they report let me zoom in a little bit so we can understand what's going on here so revenue so target had about 25 billion in revenue 25 billion in revenue the cost of sales was about $18.4 billion in revenue. The revenue increased by 4%, but the cost of sales increased by 10%. So the cost of sales increased double what the revenue was. And so last year, the operating income was $2.3 billion. Now the operating income is only $1.3 billion. So it's a very bad miss in this, in this category. But also, let's come out in the assets. Let's look at inventory. This time last year, Target had about 10.5 billion in inventory. Now Target has about 15 billion in inventory. So now that's an increase of 5 billion in inventory. Okay, so we're talking about the largest retailers in America, largest retailers in the world, to, 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 to be quite honest with you. If they're able to have that much inventory in stock, Okay, is supply chain that big of a deal? Now, to put this into perspective, okay, Walmart, Target, and Amazon, they charter their own shipping containers. So any goods that they have come in internationally from Vietnam or from India or from China, and they have come over to the ports in California and other ports over here in North America, they charter their own, they, they charter their own um 
shipping containers so they can be able to have so they can be able to have the products that they need to be able to get them out to consumers because in order for you to be successful in this environment your supply chain logistics have to be on point now the fact that they've been able to increase that inventory like that shows me that their supply chain is in a good state now big box retailers are not just going to sit on this inventory like this remember the main reason why the market is came down so much is because of inflation, high prices. Put this into perspective. In order to get off of this inventory, what do they have to do? They have to lower prices. Lower prices will then do what? Lower inflation because they have to get off of this inventory. Now, on top of that, as a corporation, this is the first rule as a corporation. The first rule as a corporation is not is is not no matter no i don't care what y'all say i don't care if you work at target or if you work at walmart the number one rule in a corporation is not the customer is always right it's not the customer is always right the number one rule for a corporation and the number one job for a corporation is to do what is to provide value to shareholders so they're going to get off of this inventory and they're going to lower these prices probably in order to do it. But to do that, they're probably going to have to, they're probably going to have to let go of staff and they're probably going to have layoffs. Now you ask, now you ask the question. Okay. So I understand that let it like, like having these sales, like pretty much lowering prices, having sales to get off of inventory, they would, because they are doing that in order to in order to continue to provide value to shareholders in order to be able to provide value to shareholders and have the and have the have the volume and to have like the eps that they really want to have throughout the end of the year they're going to have to cut prices in other areas which would mean laying off workers now how could laying off workers be good for the economy now, I don't want anybody to lose their job. That's definitely not what I'm asking. But we know that corporations are going to make tough decisions in order to do what? Corporations are going to make tough decisions in order to do what? In order to provide value to shareholders. So that's just something that corporations are going to do. But even if you were to lose your job at Target or lose your job at Walmart, according to the economic calendar, Okay. And, and and mind you, next Friday, we're going to get our payroll numbers next Friday. Okay. According to job openings, there were 11.5 million job openings last month that were reported. So anybody that gets laid off from Walmart or laid off from Target, that would give them an opportunity to go fill a position in another area of the economy that could bring down that could pretty much bring down the job openings but that would pretty much be able to provide corporations with the headcounts that they need in order to be able to deliver the mission in order to be able to run the business effectively like they need to so just just keep that into perspective i'm not saying that inflation is gone and inflation is just gone that's, that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is that inflation may not be as bad as what it is and on top of that, 
if these prices are able to come down minus, which is X food and energy, that's going to be a catalyst for the market to continue to move higher. Now, let's go back to the Fed meeting minutes real quick, real quick before we, before we get out of here. Now, the Federal Reserve officials earlier this month stressed the need to raise interest rates quickly. Okay, so we know that. And also, not only did policymakers see the need to increase benchmark borrowing rates by 50 points, they also said that similar hikes likely would be necessary at the next several meetings. They further noted that policy may have to move past a neutral stance in which it's neither supportive nor restrictive for growth. Like I said, the bicycle, the bicycle and training wheels analogy, an important consideration for central bankers that could echo through the economy. Now, what is going to be the determining factor for the Fed to move past neutral? The determining factor for the for, to determine for the Fed to move past neutral is going to be inflation. If inflation comes down faster than most people are anticipating, they won't have to raise interest rates as high. If they won't have to raise interest rates as, as high, that would provide certainty for the economy. That would provide certainty for the economy. And investors will say, okay, now this is the time to put money to work. Now, this does not mean that we are out of the woods by any means, okay? I'm not sitting up here telling you that this is a situation to where we're out of the woods, the bottom is in, just bye, 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 bye. No, that's not what I'm saying. If you're dollar cost averaging, just continue on your, on your, on your continued dollar cost averaging situation. Do not, like, don't modify your financial plan, okay? Like, don't modify your financial plan as, as I always say, and, and I will continue to tell y'all, I'm not a financial advisor, nor am I a fiduciary, okay? I don't manage money professionally. So you have to do your own research. I'm giving you my thesis on what I see from the market. But in order for you to really truly be a good investor, you're going to have to dig down in the weeds, look at, look at the technicals, look at the economics, look at the fundamentals, and really truly be able to think and trade for yourself, hence the name Trade for Yourself podcast. You're going to have to do this for yourself if you're going to really truly be an investor in the stock market. Now, you can still be an investor and just buy the S&P 500 every single month and you'll be all good. You, you don't even got to spend time reading these articles. You really don't. But if you want to have that competitive edge and really truly be able to get that return that you want in your portfolio, you might want to know what the economy is doing. So one last thing I want us to go over real quickly is that um, on the balance sheet, so pretty much let's start right here on the balance sheet issue. The plan will be to allow a capped level of proceeds to roll off each month, a number that will reach 95 billion by August, including 60 billion in treasuries and 35 billion for mortgages. The minutes further indicate that an outright sale of mortgage backed securities is possible with notice of that happening well in advance. So, so what does that mean? So the Federal Reserve is pretty much trying to reduce their balance sheet, okay, which, which consists mostly of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. So 
The reason why the Fed has to sell and get these assets off of their balance sheet is because that's a tool that the Federal Reserve has to be accommodative to the economy. If the Federal Reserve just keeps all these assets on their balance sheets, if something negative actually happened in the economy, they wouldn't have the means and they wouldn't have the opportunity or the or the capital to be able to purchase these assets to be able to save a bank or to save like like the 10-year note or, or whatever they would need to do. They wouldn't have the ability to do that. So, so they need to sell assets because, because they need to be able to have the ability to, they need to be able to have the ability to be flexible, to be flexible, be nimble in order to be able to control the economy. Now, the minutes mentioned inflation 60 times with members expressing concern about rising prices, even amid, even amid confidence that Fed policy and the easing of several contributing factors such as supply chain problems combined with tighter monetary policy would help the situation. On the other hand, officials noted that the war in Ukraine and the COVID-associated lockdowns in China would exacerbate inflation. Now, remember what I was talking about when I was going through the technicals, and I was telling y'all that Q2 earnings probably won't be that good. The reason why I said they probably won't be that good is because these COVID-associated lockdowns in China, we still have a lot of economic activity and, econ and a lot of manufacturing that goes on over there in China. Okay, so if we've got lockdowns over there and China is operating from a zero COVID policy and shutting down plants, that's going to affect what we really truly estimated for the economy at the end of the day. All right. Other things too we want to look at is that at his post-meeting news conference, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell took the unusual step of addressing the American public directly distressed the central bank's commitment to taming inflation. Last week, Powell said in a Wall Street Journal interview that it would take clear and convincing evidence that inflation was coming down to the Fed's 2% target before the rate increases would stop. Okay, along with their resolve to bring down inflation came concerns about financial stability Right. So pretty much officials expressed concern that tighter policy could cause instability in both the Treasury and commodity markets, specifically the minutes caution about the trading and risk management practices of some key participants in commodity markets that were not fully visible to regulatory authorities. This is a whole lot of jargon, whole lot of economic jargon. OK, risk management issues could give rise to significant liquidity demands for large banks, broker dealers, and their clients. Still, officials remain committed to raising rates and reducing the balance sheet. The minutes stating that doing so will leave the Fed well-positioned later this year to reevaluate the effect policy was having on inflation, right? So, like I said before, Chairman Jerome Powell is not going to raise interest rates by 75, 100 basis points just because, just to shock the economy. Like he's not going to force a recession on the economy. That, that's just not what Powell is going to do. And so, like I said, these next few readings, the June reading, the May reading starting, so, so the May reading starting and the Ju June reading, July reading, August reading, September reading, all of these inflation readings, inflation 
GDP, all of that is going to determine how fast and how far the Fed has to move in order to tame this inflation. All right. So with all of that being said, let me pause here real quick. Let me pause here. So with all of that being said, we've got a lot of things that we need to look into. And but before I go real quick, I don't have any questions in the chat yet. So I'm about to close this out, but before we get out of here real quickly, I want to I want to go over something really quickly. The U.S. economic calendar. This is really a cheat code that I use for MarketWatch. So key economic data that's going to determine where we move in the market over the next two weeks. Real gross domestic product that's coming out tomorrow. Pay attention. If it's negative, I don't think the market is going to going to pretty much take that well. Okay, that they're not going to take a negative reading in GDP well. Keep that in mind. Friday, PCE inflation. This is the measure that the, the Federal Reserve uses to determine the interest rates. If if PCE inflation is right in is right in line, or if it's shown pretty much that is peaked, or if it hasn't increased too much was probably going to happen, okay, what's probably going to happen with this PCE inflation is that the Fed is probably going to be, is probably going to feel good about the economy. Because remember, we need the inflation to come down. As long as the inflation is coming down, that's good. Okay, so what's coming up next week? So next week, Tuesday, we've got Consumer Confidence Index. That, that, that may have some movement, but I really don't think that'll have that much movement. Um, we're going to have next Wednesday, we're going to have job openings. So that'll be good to see construction spending, motor vehicle sales. And then we're going to have jobless claims and we're going to have our non-farm payrolls. So we're going to see our jobs. We're going to see our, we're going to pretty much going to have the job number next Friday. And we're going to have our unemployment rate next Friday, labor force participation rate, all of that. So you want to keep in mind about these, this economy, that there are things that you want to tap into. There are things you want to pay attention to that are happening in the economy. So some things you want to pay attention to pretty much from an economic standpoint that's going to move the market. Pay attention to FOMC minutes. Pay attention to every time Jerome Powell is speaking. Every time he is speaking, you want to pay attention. Pay attention to gross domestic product, short for GDP for short. Pay attention to CPI, that's consumer price index, okay? Keep in mind core PCE inflation, okay? PCE, that, that's what the Fed uses. Keep in mind PPI, producer price index. So not the cost increase for the consumer, but the cost increase for the producer, right? Keep in mind jobless numbers, okay? Jobless claims, like, those are the things you need, you need to pay attention to. And also FOMC meetings, right? What FOMC meetings, when the Fed is going to be able to make the determination for what they're going to do from an interest rate perspective. So as always, y'all, I appreciate y'all for tapping in. As always, I appreciate y'all for tapping in. Please like, please subscribe. Understand that it's the end of May, but we've got a long way to go. Okay, we got a long way to go. 
And so if you got some losing positions, make sure that you manage those losing positions. Do not panic sell. Don't panic sell. Find a strategy. Understand where we are technically. Okay. Use the Fibonacci retracements. Use your RSI. Use your support. Use your resistance. And use those tools and use those indicators to help you get to where you need to go and help you manage your positions. As always, continue to tap in. I'll see y'all next week. And remember, don't pay for it. Trade for it. Catch y'all on the next one.